And this morning, I want to call your attention to Matthew chapter 9. The very last verse of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus tells us what we should be praying about. He gives us very direct instructions concerning our prayer life. We don't have to guess what he wants us to pray about because right then, right there at the end of Matthew chapter 9, it says this, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so that is the subject I want to be praying about this morning in our time of pastoral prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. That you indeed are the sovereign God over the universe. That you are the Lord who created all. You're the Lord who give us life and breath and determined that we would live in a certain place, in a certain era, at a certain time. That would be in this nation at this moment when we could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You put divine appointments in our lives, even as we heard this morning of this divine appointment of one who grew up in Mexico, but eventually became a missionary to Germany and then came on furlough here to the United States, to Richland, Washington, and met up someone called Israel and led him to Christ. Lord, that is your goodness and grace. Evidence right before us, true miracle. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, right here in your word, you tell us that the harvest is plentiful. Evidence here today, evidenced in our community of the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people here who do not have a saving relationship of Christ. Lord, evidenced by countries like Germany, that's less than a percent or two evangelical Christian. We're reminded of Central Asia and East Asia and the need for the gospel to continue to go there and to thrive there. We're reminded as we turn on our televisions and watch the Olympic Games and Japan, one of the most lost countries in the world. Lord, the harvest is ripe. As we see in your word that the workers are few, And so, Lord, we pray that you would send out workers into your harvest. There's a harvest of children at our church. There's new life groups that need to be started. Lord, send out laborers. Call laborers from our midst to go and to serve. Even as you came and gave your life. Lord, right now in our streets, in our community, there are so many who whose marriages are broken, whose lives are struggling, who are addicted to substances, who are struggling with hope, who are struggling with anxiety. Lord, we have the answer. Lord, I pray that you would send out workers into this harvest. Lord, change our hearts. Let us not just be people, Lord, who sing songs about the lost, but Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts over the lost so much so that we would go out with courage and boldness dependent upon your Spirit to give us the word at the proper time to share the gospel with the lost. 
Lord, help us to not be satisfied with comfortable Christianity. But Father, I pray that you would motivate us to be the very answer to our own prayers. That we would be the laborers out in your fields. Do that work at Richland Baptist Church in the days ahead. And Lord, I pray that this fall is a mighty sending out of workers into your harvest. But that is our heart's desire. Speak to us as we open your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a Bible and open it with me to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. If you're not already there, you can use your table of contents to help you to locate that book right after the book of Obadiah, if that helps. (laughs) And right before the book of Micah. Jonah chapter 3. And what I want to talk to you about today is the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle of all. Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 10. This word inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jonah 3, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh by order of the king and his nobles. No person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent, He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your words. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts as we unpack this text and show us what the greatest miracle is and how we can see that miracle working in our community in these days. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the greatest miracle you have ever experienced? Some of you, if I would ask that question, it would... Your mind would go back to a particular time, a particular place, perhaps even your mind would go back to the birth of a child. And you'd say at that moment when I saw new life come into the world, that that first breath of a newborn baby, I just saw a miracle of God in that moment. And it's etched in your imagination like, wow, I mean, it was just incredible. It was amazing to see God work with a new human soul made in his very own image. Others of you have shared stories with me of of that moment in time when 
you heard the message from the doctor. They gave you the results of the test and, and they said there's not much hope. And yet, at the same time, you began to call out to the Lord. You began to call out to the Lord. Others joined you in the church and you called out to the Lord and you prayed and you asked God, God, we are desperate here. The only way change is going to happen is not through medicine because they don't give us any hope, but it's, it's through you and it's through your work in our lives. And, and eventually you met with the doctor again and he just looked dumbfounded. He said, I don't know how. I don't know how they this happened but but look you you're a miracle and you were able to say in that moment no no it was God others of you have had that had that moment in your life you know when there's there's more month than there is money and you wonder you look at your bank account and it's right on the verge of going negative you know the letter's coming you know they're going to tack on penalties to your account if you were to spend one dollar more and you pray and you ask God, God, I need your help. I need, a, I need a miracle in this situation. And several of you have had moments in time where you go to the mailbox and you open the mailbox or somebody gives you an envelope and, and right there in front of you just happens to be the exact right amount of money that you need to in order to, to get you through the rest of that month. Several of you could testify according to that and say, yeah, that, that happened to me. That is the, there's a miracle of God that he put that on somebody's heart but you know what the greatest miracle of all is all of those are incredible workings of our powerful God that we believe in and we've sung about today but the most important miracle the greatest miracle of all that Jesus does is when a sinner who is lost in their sin far apart from God is born again into the kingdom of God, comes to faith in Jesus Christ, has their blind eyes opened, and they believe in the gospel, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and are saved. That, my friends, that is the greatest miracle of all. When somebody who is lost is found. It goes by several names. We call it several different ways, different aspects, different nuances of this beautiful diamond called salvation. We call it salvation. We call it regeneration or conversion or being born again or becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these are different nuances of the same miracle, different aspects of this same incredible work of God in our lives where before we didn't believe, didn't care, and now we believe and love Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. If you trust in Jesus, Christ as Savior and Lord, if you are saved, you are a walking miracle. And the Bible says there's no way in the world we could ever save ourselves. It's utterly impossible for us to save ourselves. Left to our own, there would be no hope for us. Let me give you some verses that say that very thing. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says this, there is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away they've, like they've become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. So left out of ourselves, we wouldn't seek God. Titus, or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says it like this, And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. I've never seen a dead person do much. And that's true of ourselves spiritually when we are dead apart from Christ like everyone is when they are born. They are born dead. They need to be awakened. They need to experience this resurrection life of Jesus Christ. We were dead on our trespasses and our sins, but God gives us a resurrection. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says our case is even worse than that. We were dead, we were blind, and there is a devil who hates us that puts blindfolds on dead blind people. That's what... 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Not only that, but in our deadness, Titus chapter 3, verse 3, describes us in this way. It says, we who were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. What changed? What changed is a miracle that happened in our lives, that Jesus came into our lives. Jesus came in and saved us. He saved you, not because of good things you've done, not because of righteous things you have done, not because you're a good old boy or a good old gal, not because of any of those things, but because of his mercy and his grace. That is the greatest miracle. What is a miracle? Let me give you a definition of a miracle. A miracle is as follows. A miracle is God doing the impossible to bring glory to himself by revealing his character and thereby bringing people to a deeper relationship with himself. The purpose of a miracle, the purpose of God answering prayer, the purpose of God intervening in your life is always for the purpose of him bringing glory to himself as he reveals an aspect of his powerful character. And the purpose of that is to draw people, draw you to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. When he answered that prayer of a financial miracle, when he answered that prayer for health, when he answered that prayer for a child, that is just God speaking to you, drawing you into a deeper relationship with himself. And here throughout the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah is a book of miracles. There's more miracles in the book of Jonah than just a big fish swallowing a dude, and he lives. Well, that is an incredible miracle. All throughout this book, there are amazing encounters with God. God doing incredible signs and wonders right before us. Think about it. At the very beginning in chapter 1 and at the very beginning in chapter 3, God speaks to Noah. Or Noah, goodness. Yeah, that would be a miracle. <laughs> God speaks to Jonah. Let's see if we can get it right. <laughs> God speaks to Jonah. And he, you know, when you hear the voice of the Lord, the fact that we have a God who speaks is a miracle in and of itself. How many people out there in the world are serving gods who are mute, who are silent, and yet we have the God who is real, the ever-living God, who speaks to us? Book of Jonah starts with a miracle. God speaks to Jonah. God sends the storm to rescue his prodigal prophets. God does another miracle when they cast the dice to see who it is on board that's offended God. They roll the dice and it rolls out of all the people on the ship. It rolls onto Jonah. Boom, Jonah. What's going on, man? What happened? God causes the dice to land. That's a miracle of our God. Not only that, but the, when Jonah is thrown overboard, the moment he hits the water, the storm stops. That's incredible. That is a miracle in itself. Back on board, the sailors, pagan sailors, believe the Lord and are saved. There's a miracle. Jonah sinks down into the water, to the depths of the water. He's swallowed by this gigantic fish prepared by God. That is a miracle. He's not digested by the fish and becomes fish food. That is a miracle. The fish vomits him up onto the dry land. That is a miracle. God in chapter 3 speaks to Jonah again and says, go to this hard-hearted people and God saves them from from their sin. That is a miracle. And so what I want you to see in this passage is three aspects of the greatest miracle of all, the Ninevites and anybody else coming 
to faith in God. Coming to faith in Christ. Aspect number one of this greatest miracle is this. Number one, the greatest miracles happen when God's people are obedient to God's words. The greatest miracles happen. You want to see God work? Then obey God's word. And as you obey God's word, watch God work in response and faithfulness to his word. In verse 1, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Now, I don't want to skip over that. Now, I don't want to skip over that too quickly. God speaks to Jonah a second time. Some of you need to hear this. Jonah might have thought at that moment when he was on the beach, I failed. And as a failure, God As someone who has failed in my past, God has no use for me anymore. And he could have got up from that beach and just went on his life and said, there's no purpose in God's plan for people who fall and fail. And there's some of you here today that feel that very thing. You feel like because you've messed up in the past, that somehow God's going to pass over you because you've failed, because you've struggled, because you've sinned, because you, whatever. It's the very thing in your past that keeps you from engaging in the kingdom. It's the very thing in the past that keeps you from from going deep with God. And and you feel like, man, there's no hope. There's hope for people who got it together. But there's no hope for people like me who who have messed it up. Jonah gives you a lot of hope. Because chapter 1 and 2, Jonah's running as far away from he can he get from God. He, he shuts God out of his life. And yet the very one who shut God out of his life for a season, God comes back to him and he speaks to him. He says, Jonah, I'm not done with you yet. I've got a purpose and I've got a plan for your life. And some of you need to hear that as well. That God is a God of the second and, truth be told, at least one person here, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the 29th, 88th, I don't know how many. He's lost count. In fact, he said one time, 70 times 7. <laughs> He's forgiven me above and beyond that. He has a plan for your life. I remember one time in my life that, that power of second chance was just, just became high definition for me. I, when I was in elementary school and junior high school and college, I loved to play the trumpet. And I, I even had a name. I, I played the trumpet and the flugelhorn. My nickname was the Flugel Gourmet. I don't know where that came from. But um, some of y'all remember the Frugal Gourmet. But I was the Flugel Gourmet, the flugelhorn. <laughs> and so I loved to play in the jazz band. The jazz band was my favorite thing to do, my favorite thing to play in, in high school. And I remember on my junior year, I finally had worked my way up to lead trumpet, to principal trumpet, to first chair trumpet. And, and we were, the jazz band was fun. It was all, we were a pretty decent band. We get invited to some of the festivals around town and stuff. But I remember we got to state competition, like we had passed the districts with all ones, and we got to state competition. We were up there and ready to play in front of the judges, university guys, you know, professors and stuff like that great jazz great and we're jamming along there and we're ready to go take state and then right in the middle of the song i believe it was count basie straight ahead that particular song i'm not paying really close to enough attention apparently and i just at the total wrong time just start wailing on my trumpet i'm like i am way off chart here <laughs> and the whole jazz band at state competition looks back at me like what was that that was the first song in our set. <laughs> I wanted to die a thousand deaths on that stage. And not only that, the rest of the thing went 
downhill from there. Everybody got off, and it was weird. And we get back on the bus after that, and we didn't get all ones that year. Thankfully, I was a junior. We had to go back my senior year. But we didn't get all ones that time. But we got back on the bus, and I go back to the middle of the bus, away from the rest of the band, and I slink down in my seat, and I'm kind of hiding back there. I'm like, can we just get back? Can we just get back so I can just go hide? And then the band director comes on, and I never forget his name is Mr. Campbell. He comes on, and he puts in the tape into the, you know, they record it on audio tape. They put in the tape in the bus, into the tape player, and they begin to play it for everybody to hear so that we can dissect what happened. I'm like, we don't have to dissect this. I know what happened. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I was just out of it. I remember I didn't even know if I wanted to keep going. I didn't even know if I wanted to they keep on playing the horn. But I remember Mr. Campbell came in back there and sat next to me and he says, you know what? It's all right. We've all done it. And next week we're going to play at a festival and uh, we're going to play this song and you're going to do great. And you know what? At that moment, him giving me a second chance, not only that, he said, and, and State will be there next year. We'll come back and we'll get it. To have that second chance for Mr. Campbell meant a lot to me. But when God comes and says, you know what, I know you blew it. God knows it all. And he still comes and he says, I have a plan for you. I want to use you. And you're going to do mighty things for my name. You know what? That is his grace in action. Don't miss God's grace in the very first verse of Jonah chapter 3. God speaks to Jonah a second time. He gives him the exact same word. He says, get up and go to the city of Nineveh and preach the message that I'm going to tell you. Why Nineveh? It's interesting that verse 2 reads that it's a very, it says in, the, in, 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 in my Bible, it says there that it's an important city or it's a great city. That, that word could be translated, it's a city important to God there in verse 3. It was an extremely great city. It could be translated, this particular city is a city that is important or is valuable to God. God cares about the city. God cares about lost people. And he cares enough to use very imperfect prophets to go and to speak the gospel, to bring the good news, to bring a message of Jesus to the world around us. People like Jonah, people like you, people like me, God wants to use to bring about the greatest miracle of all. So what does Jonah do. God says to him again, using the exact same words that he uses in chapter one, I want you to get up and go to Nineveh. Then it says, Jonah got up, same words as chapter one, and he goes to Nineveh in obedience to God. God says to him, I'll give you the message when you get there. You just have to obey. You just have to trust. Go 500 miles to get there. Fine. You just have to trust my word and obey same thing is true for us in the New Testament. Mark chapter 13, verse 11 says this, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. We need to be people who pray, Lord Jesus, I am going to take a step of faith and I'm gonna share Jesus with somebody and I'm just gonna trust you that you're gonna give me the words to say that are the right words in that hour. Like the book of Proverbs says, is like an apple of gold in a setting of silver is a word aptly spoken. That's the 
Holy Spirit's work in our lives, giving us the right word at the right moment, at the right time. Jonah responds. He gets up and he goes to Nineveh at the command of the Lord. In fact, the command of the Lord to Jonah is three words. Arise, go, and tell. Arise, go, tell. I don't think it's hard to figure out what the application is to our church. Get up. Go. Tell. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49. Jesus said to them, This it is written, thus it is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sin will be proclaimed in his name to the nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Arise, go, tell. Where is God calling you to go? Maybe there's somebody that you work with. That this week you need to make an appointment with and say, I want to t- just buy your lunch and I want to tell you the most important thing about my life. And you buy their lunch and you tell them about Jesus. Maybe there's somebody in your family that you have been waiting to share Jesus with. Go and share Jesus with that person. Arise, go and tell. Maybe God has put a people group on your heart, a people group on your mind. Maybe in, in contact with Lero, or maybe in the contact with some of our other missionaries. Maybe God has put Germany on your heart and you need to make a you need to make a plan a trip to go there and see what God is doing in, in Germany. Or maybe you need to make a, a plan to go to East Asia or Central Asia or, or somewhere in the world. Maybe God is leading you to that. Or or maybe perhaps there's a life group of children that meets just right down the hall. And they're right here in our own building. You know, we've had, how many, 35 plus children already in life groups? The rooms are getting full. And we're expanding the new rooms. But we can't do it if there's no teacher. We can't do it if somebody doesn't arise, go, and tell. Same thing's true in our community. This fall, we're going to be prayer walking our community, praying house to house, even putting door knockers on homes to say, we prayed for your house. Not knocking on the door, not being weird or anything, not interrupting people's time, but, but say, we are praying for our community. Why? Because our sign says we love our community. And not only just the sign says it, but we love it in our hearts. And we want to get out there and God open up our eyes to show his needs in this community so that we can go out there and share the gospel with our community. But it won't happen if we don't go. Arise. Get up, church. We've been sitting around too long. Arise. Go and tell. We have a powerful words. It's not the word that's the problem. Arise. Go and tell. Number two. The greatest miracle happens not only when the people of God get serious about the word of God that has the power of God, but number two, the greatest miracles happen when God's people speak God's message. So rise, go, and tell. Say the word. 
speak the word. Jonah obeys God's word and he goes to Nineveh, that is city so important to God. We know the heart of God throughout the Old Testament for the nations, even as he spoke to Abram and he said to Abram, look, you're, a nation will come from you that will be a blessing to all the world, all the nations. It's throughout the whole Old Testament. The purpose of Israel is to be a blessing to the nations, to show them who is the one true and living God. And we, here in the New Testament church, know Him. And we have this great commission to go out and to share the gospel with our friends and neighbors. I saw a statistic this week that over 80% of people would respond to, or over 80% of people who come to church came because a friend invited them. Only 6% came because a pastor invited them. How do people come to church? It's not because the pastor gets to know everybody in the Tri-Cities. It's because we have a church full of people that know a whole lot of people that I'll never meet, or at least don't know right now. But you know them, and you can tell them about Jesus. You can invite them to Christ. Jonah goes into the city. It's huge. It's massive. Three days walk across the city. 600,000 people. Twice the Tri-Cities. Seems like the impossible dream. Seems like the impossible mission. There in those days, there are no internet. There's no sound system. There's no social media. Just one person, one man with a message. But guess what? He has the message of the Word of God. And Hebrews chapter 4.12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing of soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and actions of the heart that's the powerful word of god the powerful word of christ that word that saves the word that god promises will not return to him void jonah goes to that nation that nation of terrorists walks into the city one day and after he gets one day journey into the city i don't know why they listened to him maybe it was his clothes were different maybe he looked different because of the effects of the acid of the fish his stomach on his skin and bleached him out i have no idea bible doesn't say but what he had regardless of what it was he had a message from god And you know how powerful the word of God is? Do you know how many words in the Hebrew language Jonah preached? Five words. Some of y'all, man, are like, let's have a Jonah sermon next Sunday, right? (laughs) Five words, man. That's it. (laughs) But five words in Hebrew. Five Hebrew words spoken in the power of the Holy Spirit transformed a nation they hear him preach and everybody in all of Nineveh greatest to the least of them repents they all repent and get right with God Jonah the reluctant prophet brings a message a message of judgment and implied opportunity if they would repent repent Turn away. In 40 days, you will be destroyed. Implied in there is the possibility of forgiveness. They don't know what will happen, but they do know that God has spoken through this particular prophet and the entire nation repents. All 600,000 of them show what repentance is really all about. In fact, we see in this passage what repentance is all about. They had a heart response. They had a verbal response. And they had a behavioral response. 
All three. They had a heart response. The Bible says that they believed. They had a verbal response. They announced their faith and their transformation. And they had a behavioral response. They lived and they act differently. Their hearts, with their hearts, they believe and are saved. They voice their faith in the Lord and their actions are transformed. In fact, that's what repentance is all about. When the Bible says repent and to believe in the gospel, that's what it's talking about. It's a heart change where you believe. It's a vocal change where you confess Jesus as Lord of your life. And it's a life change where you live differently now. In response to the gospel, Jonah preaches and a whole nation turns to the Lord. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this, so faith comes by what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. That is the power of the gospel. And do we believe it as a church? You know, I think about this story that not only did it start with the street, but it spread from the street, it spread through the city, and eventually it got all the way up to the top head honcho in the city. The king of Nineveh, the White House of Nineveh, is transformed because one guy, even though reluctant, is faithful to preach the, good, the gospel, is faithful to preach the word of God. Now, wouldn't that be amazing? That's an incredible miracle. 600,000 ancient terrorists coming to faith in God, repenting and wailing in sackcloth. They even covered their animals in sackcloth, showing their earnestness to God. It happened in Nineveh. Do you believe it can happen today? We have a nation that desperately needs a revival like this. That desperately needs people who simply believe in the Word of God and the power of the Word of God to go out into the streets of the city, to go out into their neighborhoods, and to live loud for Jesus, and to share Jesus with people, to share Jesus with children, to share Jesus with students, to share Jesus with this world, to believe enough simply in the power of the gospel that and the power of the proclaimed gospel, that if you share the gospel with somebody, God's going to save somebody. Just like he did with Illyro and, and with Israel just a few months ago. The only way he'd hear is somebody shares. And you can share as well. And notice how big a revival it was. It reached all the way from the street all the way to the White House. You know what, we in a nation, we live in a nation where the White House and the halls of the government of our nation need salvation, amen? <laughs> Is anything too big for God? Are we believing God for too small of a thing? Or what if God wanted to send in our day, something that has actually never happened in the Northwest, a tremendous revival, so much so that it would be a miracle if it happened? Well, it happened in Nineveh, it can happen today. Are we trusting in the word of God? Sharing God's word, what has happened? Sharing God's word brings faith, ignites prayer, produces repentance. Lives transformed by the gospel is the greatest miracle. That brings us to number three. The greatest miracle happens when God softens, softens hearts. People respond to him and he forgives rebels. 
They are crying out to the Lord, Nineveh, will you forgive us? Who knows? He might relent. He might turn away from his anger. They don't know at that point what is going to happen. They're just calling out, please forgive us. But Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 8 says this, at one moment I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will uproot, tear down, and destroy it. However, if that nation about which I have made the announcement turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the disaster I had planned to do to it. I think we're at that moment. If not, we're very close to it as a nation. But the promise of Jeremiah to the southern kingdom, the promise of Jeremiah to the Ninevites, the promise of Jeremiah to us is that if we will turn, if we will be faithful, if we'll share the gospel, if you're faithful right where you are, church, Richland Baptist, faithful with what God has given you, then watch God work. So much so that through one prophet, he can transform 600,000 people, twice the size of the Tri-Cities. You know, God was already at work in Nineveh before Jonah ever even showed up. You know, it's incredible if you look at, not in, it's not found in the, in the Bible, but it's found in history. What was God doing in Nineveh to prepare the heart of the people to receive the prophet's message? It's interesting if you look at history, what was happening right before Jonah showed up. God was working, preparing their hearts, because right before he showed up, the nation had been experiencing famine, enemy attacks, and internal revolts. In 763 BC, right there at Nineveh, there was this incredible total solar eclipse, so much so that the people saw it as a sign from heaven that they need to get right with God. With all this bad stuff going on, they need to get right with God. They were crying out, what's our problem? What do we need to do? How do we need to how do we need to get right with you what what direction do we need to go and at that moment god was speaking to one man saying i want you to get up and i want you to go to nineveh and i want you to go tell them the message that i'm going to give you and the whole time god is preparing their hearts to receive the message i wonder if right now as we're sitting here in this room if god might be preparing the heart of somebody that this week he's going to speak to you. I want you to go talk to them. No, Lord, I can't do that. No, it's okay. Trust in me. Give him the word that I give you and trust in God that he is preparing their heart the entire time to hear exactly what the gospel according to you is going to be shared with them. Trust in the Lord. What is the main idea of this whole passage? I think we can summarize it in two sentences. It would be this. God loves the people of the world so much that he sends out messengers to call everyone to repentance and a relationship with himself by faith. And that is the greatest miracle of all. Will you participate and be a part of of God doing signs and wonders and miracles as He saves lost sinners throughout the Tri-Cities, through the work of faithful people at Richland Baptist Church as God transforms a city. Let's spend a few moments in silence thinking about what the Lord has spoken to us today. We'll pray and we'll respond.
maybe right now, I'd encourage you just to pray to the Lord if the Lord so leads you. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Give me boldness. Give me the words to say. Overcome my fear. Give me divine appointments to share Jesus with somebody. Maybe the Lord's putting on your heart an individual that's far from Christ. Would you pray for them right now? Know that they're not too far away to be reached by the grace of God and the word of God spoken through a faithful child of God. No matter how timid or reluctant we are. Maybe God's putting on your heart to talk to me or talk to Miss, Miss Mandy or storm after the service and say, I want to be that one. I need, to, I need to serve. I want to be that life group teacher. Would you make that decision right now? To not let that room be empty when we have the children. Maybe there's another ministry God has put on your heart. You've been sitting on the sideline critiquing our nation and our culture on the internet rather than engaging people with the gospel. Maybe you need to repent and say, God, use me to spread your words. Lord, I pray that you would work during this time of response. Help us not to be hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of the word. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.